Philippians 4, verse 1 to 7. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, Audia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have been contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, and present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Good morning, church. Uh, to state the obvious, it's quite warm, uh, so we can be thinking of our brothers and sisters worshipping in Broome right now, uh, who are probably thinking that this is winter uh, for them. Uh, but before we get into our text this morning, why don't we come to our Father in prayer and ask for his help? Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that it is good. And we ask that your spirit would help us this morning, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would hold Christ high in our midst, and that you would transform us, that we would leave this place this morning uh, rejoicing in what you have done for us. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I might ask, uh, have you ever known people in your life uh, where they have been under absolute horrible pressure but seem to be walking through the whole thing in absolute peace and joy in their lives? I have. In fact, one of the great privileges of being a pastor is getting to know people and the personal struggles that they have, yet watching how God works tangibly in their lives. It's incredible, really. Things that would crush and destroy the average person are walked through in a whole different way by these wonderful brothers and sisters in the faith. It's sobering, really. Well, church, this morning we turn to a passage of scripture where Paul is talking to this congregation in Philippi and by implication us too. And he's encouraging Christians that there is a peace that goes way beyond our own understanding. And because of Christ Jesus, our Lord, it actually already is ours. Yet we have to learn how to walk in it. And he teaches us about these things in a surprising context. You might remember uh, that these Christians have been under horrible persecution. We've seen that over the months as we've been working our way uh, slowly through this book. It seems that they had external pressures from the pagan society around them to give up on the faith and also internal pressure with cracks and divisions starting to form, which was threatening to rip apart the members of the congregation. 
And so our apostle talks to his precious friends about how to deal with real and present danger and how to experience godly peace among themselves that is supernatural and, as we read here this morning, transcends all their understanding. And we see that in the way that Paul has structured uh, this part of his book starting with a personal plea to his dear brothers and sisters in verses 1 through to 3, he then moves on to three commands or exhortations for the church to observe and practice. Verse 4, we're told to rejoice. Verse 5, we're told that we are to actively work out the fruit of the Spirit. And then in verse 6, we are to pray. But notice this, and it's very important that we do so. Notice what Paul tells us, and we find it there in verse 7. There is a promise, and that promise is that God's peace will flood our hearts, our minds, and our lives. So I might ask you this morning, my dear brothers and sisters, is that something that is important to you? Is having the peace of God which transcends all understanding something that you want in your life and in our churches well if you do and I certainly do let's listen to what the holy scriptures have to say to us this morning and work our way together through this wonderful and encouraging part of scripture Uh, if you have your bibles uh, with you we'll be in our text quite a bit this morning so let's start by looking at verses one through to three We read, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, there's a lot that could be said uh, on all the historical information that Paul has given us uh, here. But I really want to focus in on verses 2 and 3 and how Paul speaks about these two sisters in the church uh, because he urges them in the strongest possible terms. Notice that Paul says he pleads with them. In other words, he begs them to be of the same mind. Now, we don't exactly uh, know what's come between these two ladies and separated them in their friendship, uh, but he urges them that they overcome it and come back together in peace. Uh, Now, church, let's think about this for a moment. Imagine if you had a family friend that you spoke to about a problem that you were having with someone else in your family, uh, and then that family friend then wrote an open letter to your entire family uh, pleading with you to be reconciled to the one you've just fallen out with. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would be absolutely mortified. Uh, But I don't think we should take Paul here as trying to cause embarrassment or shame on his sisters within the family of God. No, I don't think that's happening at all. And I say that because he seems to love and respect this church more than anything. 
We see it in verse 1, don't we? My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Hear our apostle's language here. He loves this congregation to bits. He respects this congregation. And by the looks of it, he completely trusts this congregation with this very real problem that's going on within their spiritual family there in Philippi in his absence. And so he knows by naming his sisters, not their problem, mind you, by naming his sisters, it's not so that they would be shamed and outed by their church family, but so that they would be helped by all those around them who love them ever so much. Yet in saying that, it does also show us that our apostle takes division in the church very seriously. Brothers and sisters, we have to be aware that this is the nature of any church anywhere in the world. The church is filled with people like you and me who are in varying degrees of works in progress, which means any New Testament church that is faithful to the word of God and preaching of the gospel is going to be full of little construction sites that are still being worked on. And so we must be aware of that reality. The church is filled with saved sinners. And and I just want to say a couple of things that are encouraging that we can take note of of that. Uh, First, Paul uh, fully expects that Christians will struggle with varying forms of relational difficulties. And so no church should look at itself and think that there is something utterly wrong when there is hardship going on. But as we see in our passage this morning, that doesn't mean we just ignore it. Now, as we see here, divisions and disunity needs to be worked on. But brothers and sisters, there is good news in all of this. And that's the second thing that I want you to take note of. Notice the language in these verses. Christians deal with relational issues in light of who we are in the Lord. In other words, we deal with broken relationships and hardships of all sorts in light of the gospel. Verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. Verse 2, be of the same mind in the Lord. Verse 3, rejoice in the Lord. Notice the language running through our text. Uh, We struggle and strive with one another in our brokenness, not as strangers or members of a Jesus fan club, but as spiritual siblings who have all been saved, redeemed, sanctified, and are totally forgiven and loved by our Heavenly Father in the Lord. What am I trying to say here? Well, that because of Christ and what he has done for us, his people, we can see every strained relationship, every hurt, every personal offense as an opportunity to shine what we have been shown in the Lord to others. In other words, because of who we are, our status in Christ, in the Lord, we can approach every relational hardship 
as an opportunity to display the love that we have been shown to others in Christ-like forgiveness. That is something that is so unique about the church that no football, knitting or rowing club can ever manifest. Simply said, we as the family of God are in the unique position because of our position in Christ to display the love of Christ to each other, to to our brothers and sisters where there has been an offence. And so I simply want to say that however deep that hurt may be, well, because of who we are in the Lord, there is a unique opportunity for the grace of the gospel to be manifested in that situation. Uh, for forgiveness and reconciliation to be shown. Church, hear me this morning, because we are human and because we are all sinful, we will all experience uncomfortable relationships. That's life, unfortunately. But dear ones, that doesn't mean that we have to fret or spiral out of control when those things come because we don't have to look at relational difficulties in the same way that the world does. No, because of the gospel, because of who we are in the Lord with the experience of utter and total forgiveness working in our lives, we can see every difficulty and hardship in light of the gospel and as a unique opportunity to share that forgiveness and reconciliation with others. That is a beautiful truth that every Christian has an opportunity to do. Yet in saying that, we we must recognize that sometimes this won't be possible to work out just between two people, and we see that in our passage this morning, don't we? That's why Paul has asked the church to get involved and and to help his sisters in this reconciliation. That's why Paul has named these precious women. It's because he loves them and and he loves them too much to watch their division destroy one another. And so he calls on others. He calls on the maturity and the experience of others in the Lord to help their sisters. Also, that they might cultivate a culture of reconciliation where forgiveness is offered and relationships are restored. In other words, Paul is calling the church to be gospel-centric. He is calling the church to live in light of who we are in the Lord so that there might be really real godly peace in the church. So by way of application to experience this peace among themselves, this supernatural peace that transcends all their understanding, he then exhorts the church. He commands the church. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Now, if you're anything uh, like me, I I think that's a really odd place to put something like this. I, I mean, he's just told the church of an internal division. Now, I want you to rejoice. But if we think about what Paul is saying here, this actually hasn't come out of the blue, and it's something that we've noticed before in this book. 
In fact, it's been a concern of Paul all throughout this letter to the Philippians. He wants them to, he doesn't want them to rejoice in their circumstances. Now, remember the context that the letter has been written into. They are under persecution from the outside and from the inside, there's division. And so, with that said, we can see that Paul doesn't want these beloved people to fixate all their attention on their circumstances, but to turn their minds towards the Lord. That's the exhortation here. Rejoice. Rejoice how? Rejoice in the Lord. A few months ago, Haley and I had the opportunity to visit a church in another town and they were an absolutely beautiful congregation. But in saying that, they were a very small congregation with only about 15 people. So after the service, I got speaking to the minister and, I told, um, and he told me uh, that he was only there in the last couple of months because the last pastor left over a church split. And then he went on to tell me that the church actually used to be quite large, but that they had an argument over something to do with some new laws coming in at the federal level of state government, and the people became so fixated on their external what-ifs and hows that they eventually turned on each other. And what was a thriving Christian community in one of the most pagan towns in Western Australia was torn to shreds in public view. A burnt out pastor, a a divided community and a sign to that town that Christian community can be just as horrid a place to be in than a Macca's in Northridge on a Friday night. Brothers and sisters, Do you hear what our apostle is telling us here? He's saying that if we fixate on our circumstances, if we are fixated on the externals of the world and the internals of the church to find our joy, then when pressures and hardships come in those areas, and they will come, then we are going to be in serious trouble. Church, if we don't remember the Lord and if we forget to look to him and to rejoice in all that he has done, all that he is and all that he is going to do for his people, if we take our eyes off him and forget who we are to each other in the Lord, then we too run the risk of being torn to shreds. Church, it's little wonder that Paul commands one of the most persecuted churches in the New Testament, to not fixate on their situations, but to always look to the Lord and rejoice. Second, he wants them to put into practice the fruit of the Spirit. Every born-again believer in the Lord has the Spirit of God in them. And with that, there will be evidence in their lives of this work. Uh, When we look at Paul's uh, letter to the Galatians, he talks about that evidence by way of fruit, and gentleness is right there in that list. That's what he says in verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
In other words, let the work of God so permeate your lives that it's evident not to just those in the church, but to everyone around you. I love what Paul does here, actually, because it reminds us of just who we are in light of everything. He says, the Lord is near. Now, that's not to scare us, but to remind us of just who is in our lives and to whom we will give an account one day. I remember uh, many moons ago that Hayley and I were having a disagreement over my lack of gifting of being able to pick up items of clothing off the floor. Uh, And we were having a bit of a squabble and uh, speaking pretty directly to each other uh, when all of a sudden there was a, a knock on the door from our friends who had arrived early for dinner. And just like that, I realized how stubborn I was being and that our friends didn't need to be subject to my justification of leaving my socks in the kitchen uh, once again. So I humbly apologized to my dearly beloved, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, right, man? That when we are together with our loved ones, maybe in the midst of an argument with family members, we forget who is actually present in our lives and who's watching. We forget to whom we will give an account of every word we speak. So we might ask the question, if Jesus walked through the door, well, do you think the disagreements that you're having are worth having in light of the law? Are you exuding the fruit of the Spirit in the midst of conflict? First, church, we are to rejoice. Not in our circumstances, but in the Lord. Second, we're to put into practice the fruit of the Spirit, knowing that our Lord is near. Third, we're to pray, verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In other words, our apostle reminds us that we're to rely on God in every single area of our lives. How do we know that we're really relying on him? It's because we take things to him. We take our anxiety to the throne of Now, don't mishear me uh, this morning, church. This isn't Paul saying that you're not going to have any issues if you just pray. That's not what he's saying here. I I mean, this isn't the inspiration for the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. As we've already seen through this series, uh, we see it again this morning, Christians will go through different and horrible circumstances in this life and there will be things that crawl into our hearts and minds that will cause us to stress out and fret. But this is the thing. Our apostle tells us here plainly in our text that we don't have to be anxious because in every situation we have a God who is in charge, who loves us more than we could possibly imagine a father that we can go to because we are in the Lord. And because of what he's done for us, we will be heard. I don't know about you, my brothers and sisters, but real anxiety tends to grip my heart 
when I want to be in control of a situation, but I'm just not. And you know what the sad thing is about that? None of us are actually in control of the things around us anyway. And so by being anxious about a situation that you're not in control of actually doesn't do a single thing except stress you out and discourage others around you. Church, worrying and and fretting, well, it doesn't actually give you more control over the situation that you're out of control of in the first place. No, all it does is causes you to feel more anxious and to not be able to sleep at night. So our dear apostle says, he says, brothers and sisters, instead of worrying about the things you can't change, go and speak to the one who is in control of everything in your situation. And because he loves you and because he has promised to take care of you, he will listen to any and everything that you bring to him. That is our promise, brothers and sisters. If you are in the Lord, if you trust him with all that you are, then you actually have nothing to worry about in this life. We have nothing to worry about because our loving heavenly father knows us. He knows our needs and he will take care of us. So this invitation is open to all his beloved children to go before the throne of grace to find mercy, to find undeserved favour, to help us in our time of need. And so the invitation is open to all of his children, all of us to ask our loving Heavenly Father to practice what he has told us to do, to be at peace with one another, to rejoice in all circumstances, to be gentle towards all, to pray about everything. Because it's as we seek to obey what God would really have us to do that we will really experience his peace that surpasses anything we have ever known. And it's with that understanding that Paul ends this part of scripture by pointing us to that very thing, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See what our apostle is telling us? He's essentially telling us that when we make it a practice of turning from what is right in front of us with all its what-ifs and maybes to the Lord in all circumstances, when we remember who we are in the Lord and how God has shown us such incredible grace and mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we run to and not from our Heavenly Father in our crippling anxieties, then there will be a peace that transcends and surpasses all our understanding. In other words, Paul says, when we make a practice of turning to the Lord through any and everything, when we make it a practice to rejoice in the Lord no matter what the circumstance says, when we make it a practice to live in gentleness with all those around us, even those we may struggle with, when we're tempted to worry, but again, make it a practice to pray so that we might trust ourselves, remind ourselves of God's sovereignty in our lives, then there will be peace 
beyond our comprehension. And it will be known through and through. Church, the promise here is simple. When the circumstances are screaming to you, despair and hopelessness, if we turn to the Lord time and time and time and time and time again, we'll experience his peace that is already ours in him. So church, as we end our time in this wonderful and encouraging part of scripture, I want to again ask that question that we started with. Is having the peace of God which transcends all understanding something that you want in your life and in our churches? Then might I encourage you to put into practice what we've heard this morning. The promise is there for every single born-again believer. But might I also encourage you in something else? Might I encourage you to go to your heavenly Father and ask him for his help in putting into practice what we have heard this morning? We live in a world that is fallen. We live in a world where relationships are hard. We live in a world where things just don't seem to work out. And so we must pray so that we might put into practice what God wants us to do. Because if we don't practice these things that we've heard this morning, well, we won't really experience the promise that is being held out to us. And I don't know about you, my brothers and sisters, but I need that peace that goes beyond anything that I could ever produce in and of myself. We need that peace in our own lives. We need it in our churches. But experiencing that peace begins with our own obedience as to what God has told us to do. But let's end on this promise. We have a God that we know loves and cares for us. He sent us the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in the Lord together. We have a God who has given us his Holy Spirit as a helper. So when hard times come, and they will come without and within the church, we have a testimony that we are doing none of it by ourselves in our own strength. But we do all things in the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we began our time by asking for your ministry in our midst to hold Christ high among us this morning. And Father, you know each and every single one of us, you have told us through the Lord Jesus that not where you know the very hairs on our head. Father, you know everything that is going on in our lives right now that is out for people to see and in private. Father, we want to experience this peace. We want this peace that goes beyond, that transcends, surpasses our own understanding. We want to be a people who love you, know you, and talk and share the good news of you. We ask for your work in our lives, in this church and the churches around us. And we ask for this in Jesus' name.